1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give the command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or, or else be reconciled to her husband, and her husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a, who has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, we do pray that uh, as we look at these verses, whatever our circumstances, that we would hear them as uh, the very words of God and that you would be uh, comforting us, encouraging us, challenging us uh, to live out your good pattern for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. These um, past few Sundays we've been seeing that the teaching of the Bible on sex and relationships is wonderfully clear. Um, it's a blessing to me not to have to think up my own way of kind of navigating through these quite difficult and personal um, issues. There's a real freedom uh, as a preacher in just being able to say it's all here, just see what it says. Very sadly, our bishops are wanting to muddy the waters. Um, they want us to bless patterns of sex and relationships um, that God says are wrong. And we need to pray that there's such an outcry at General Synod um, this week that they will have to withdraw their proposals. But scripture itself is wonderfully clear. We saw last week that the Bible plainly teaches no sex without marriage between a man and a woman and no marriage without sex where at all possible. Now for some of us, that very clear teaching will be satisfying. Maybe especially if our own lives have been very straightforward. And maybe if we have the kind of character that likes things to be cut and dried, very black and white. Others of us might struggle with that kind of very black and white teaching. Maybe we have a natural tendency to ask difficult questions. And particularly if our own lives and situations have not been straightforward. Is Christianity only for people who have got all the answers? Is Christianity only for those whose lives perfectly fit the ideal pattern? No and no. 
The Bible is a realistic book. It's a book for broken people and broken situations. The Apostle Paul, in fact, Jesus himself, they recognise that life is messy. It's not a book of impossible ideals. It's meant to be lived out amidst the messiness of our broken world, especially as broken people with broken desires and broken relationships. And so without compromising on the essential clarity that we saw last week, no sex without marriage, no marriage without sex, Paul goes on today to speak about a few of those situations where life um, is just a little bit more messy. And he looks at three scenarios that might arise. And let me say at this point that usually uh, I put some gaps on the outline on the service sheet, on the inside of the sheet there, on the outline of the sermon. There are some gaps to fill in. It's meant to encourage you to listen with pen in hand. Um, this week it's very easy because the gaps are all filled by the same... Kate, Kate's smiling at me because she tries to work out what should go in the gaps before I say it. And I think she's smug because she's worked out what it was. It's the same word in each of the gaps this week. It's the word stay. Stay as you are. That's Paul's basic message for us, whether we're married or unmarried. Stay single if you're single, stay married if you're married. But in each case, there are exceptions. Life is sometimes more messy than simple black and white, um, uh, than a simple black and white position. And the exceptions are real, even if they're not ideal. First, Paul says, it's good to stay single. That's in verse eight. Have a look down again. We're on page 1148 in the Church Bibles. Verse eight, he says, now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. There's that word good again. We saw it in verse one of the chapter. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. We're gonna see it again in verse 26, where Paul talks more about the goodness of singleness. He insists again and again that singleness is not second best. He said in verse 7, I wish that all of you were as I am, that is, happily single and celibate. And again in here, here in verse 8, it is good to stay unmarried as I do. We'll see next week that we mustn't assume that changing our circumstances is the answer to every problem. We might grow up assuming that we'll get married and live happily ever after. You might think life would be much easier, much happier if you were married. You wouldn't be lonely. You'd have two incomes. Uh, you could have children, long-term security. But Paul says it's good to stay single. More on that in two weeks' time. It's good to stay single, but... But in each of these three situations we're looking at this morning, Paul introduces an exception. And he mentions one situation in particular where it's better to marry. In fact, it's an imperative. He said, you must marry. Verse 8, he says, 
Now to the unmarried and the widows I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Verse 9, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now maybe that's surprising. We need to look carefully at what he's saying here. Does he mean that if we experience any kind of sexual desire, we should get married? No, that's not what he's saying. Sexual desire is normal, and if we're not married, the right thing to do is to show self-control. We don't look to change our circumstances if we're struggling, we look to grow in godliness. But our English translations are a bit misleading. The exception is not if they can't control themselves, but if they're not controlling themselves. It's not, I give in. No, it's where we're not controlling ourselves. Um, So this is where someone is already in a compromised situation. Maybe it's a situation uh, like the one that we're going to come across in verse 36, where Paul says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning, they should get married. Maybe a couple have been living together as if married for years and they come under conviction of sin, they want to follow Jesus, and Paul says, just get married as quickly as you can. It's better to regularise that relationship that is otherwise sinful. Maybe they haven't been living together as if married, but they've still been fooling around. Maybe they're not fully sexually active, but there's a lot of sexual arousal going on and they've tried to control themselves, um, but they keep failing. And Paul says, just get married. Just get married. It may be that this also applies to situations where a person isn't maybe in a particular relationship, but they have a pattern of falling into sexual immorality again and again, sleeping around, maybe even prostitution, addiction to pornography. I'm hesitant to say it applies to those situations because what happens if you can't find someone suitable to marry? And even within marriage, those temptations to sexual immorality may not stop. The first call on that person is to repent and to seek help and accountability from good friends. But it might prompt you actively to look for someone suitable to marry. You see, there's not an absolute rule to stay single. Don't be super spiritual about it. The further you are down the road to sexual immorality, the more likely it is that the best thing will be for you to marry. Verse 9 says, it's better to marry than to burn. Maybe our translators are right that Paul means to burn with passion, but it could also mean to burn with shame and ultimately to burn in judgment. That's where sexual immorality leads if it goes unchecked. It is good to stay single, but if you're not controlling yourself, marry. Next, if you are married, stay married. 
Paul talks about two sorts of marriage situations in particular. First of all, Christians stay married. Biblical marriage is permanence. It's for keeps. We say in the marriage ceremony, till death us do part, nothing else. And Paul is following the explicit teaching of the Lord Jesus in a number of places in the Gospels, uh, places like Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19. He says, verse 10 of our passage, Paul says, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. For Christians, divorce is not an option. However difficult the marriage, however much a couple grow apart, whatever the stresses and strains of life, both the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus say that we need to stay together and work at it. Now, there are exceptions, which Paul doesn't mention here, but Jesus mentions in Matthew 19. He says, Uh, that adultery breaks the marriage covenant and can be grounds for divorce. Also, separation may sadly be necessary where it's not safe to stay with a spouse who's violent. It might be that Paul expects us to apply the next few verses that we're going to come on to, to those situations where a spouse is behaving like an unbeliever. He doesn't cover every possible scenario explicitly in these verses. In this verse, it's particularly the wife who wants to separate from her husbands. It might be that some women, in particular in Corinth, have taken the Christian teaching against sexual immorality so seriously that they think it would be better if they were no longer married. After all, wasn't Jesus unmarried? Wasn't the Apostle Paul unmarried? But Paul says, no, if you're married, stay married. Don't allow a false super-spirituality to tell you otherwise. One of the ways that a Christian lives out their commitment to Christ is by sticking with a marriage, even when it's hard. But, but again, there's an exception. Separation is not ideal, but it's real. Sometimes uh, there's no adultery or abuse that might mean that divorce is an option, but sometimes a married couple, even Christians, just can't bear to stay together. I've come across one or two situations like this where even after counselling and many years of struggle, a couple or one member of the couple has just said that they just feel they have to leave. And Paul doesn't endorse that situation but he does say in verse 11 that if a wife does separate in those circumstances she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife either a Christian couple struggling to remain together and stay under the same roof and in the same bed doesn't mean that you give up on the marriage altogether. It's not a reason to divorce and marry someone else. You might feel that you just have to live under separate roofs for a while, but the best thing is if you can be reconciled. And that won't be possible 
if you divorce and marry someone else. Sometimes life is messy, but here's how to make the best of a bad job. Do ask for help if you're in this sort of situation. Ideally, before it gets to this sort of point. Don't forget, we've got that marriage enrichment day coming up in a few weeks' time. Some situations go further, though, and yet even here the instruction is to stay together, if you can. Mixed marriages, stay married. Here, Paul doesn't have an explicit instruction from Jesus, but he speaks with his own authority as an apostle, and that's quite enough for us. Verse 12, he says, To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother, any Christian, has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Verse 13, if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, he must not di- she must not divorce him. Now the Bible is very clear that Christians should only marry other Christians. Paul is going to say that again in verse 39. But maybe one of the couple has become a Christian after they've already married. Or it could be that they were both saying they were Christians when they married, but one of them has since fallen away. They decide they're not a Christian after all, or they demonstrate that by their behaviour, maybe through adultery or abuse. What should the believing partner do? Paul's probably thinking about his own teaching in the last couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians. Do you remember back in chapter 5, he talked about the need for churches to distinguish themselves from those who are rebelling against God. Maybe you remember those phrases, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, he said there. Expel the wicked person from among you. Does that mean that being united with an unbeliever in the intimacy of marriage makes a Christian unclean in a sense no no there's a sense in which a christian in a mixed marriage actually makes the whole family holy now that's a strange idea isn't it but far from unbelievers contaminating the believer it seems that the believer's holiness is contagious for the unbelieving spouse as well as for their children verse 14 have a look it says verse 14 for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified made holy through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is they're holy Now this doesn't mean that the whole family is automatically saved. Verse 16 is going to make that clear. But it does mean that there's a kind of provisional holiness over the whole family. It's not sinful. It doesn't contaminate the believer to stay in a marriage with an unbeliever if that's the situation they find themselves in. This is one of the verses, by the way, that explains why most churches down through the ages, including our own, has believed that it's right to baptise the babies of at least one believing parent. 
because it seems that God regards them as part of the covenant community at least until such time as they grow up um, to reject the faith. So stay in a mixed marriage if that's the situation you find yourself in. But again there's an exception. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. We're not required to cling on to a mixed marriage, come what may. If our unbelieving spouse abandons us, we can let them go with a good conscience. If they push for a divorce, we can agree to it. We're called to peace, not the ongoing conflict of forcing our spouse to stay in a marriage when they want out. Actually, under the law in the UK now, uh, we can't stop our spouse divorcing us anyway. I think Paul is saying that it's okay to remarry in those circumstances. It's a different situation to the one in verse 11, where it's two Christians who are just struggling to live together. Here it's someone who's not a Christian who wants to break up the marriage, and the point may come where it's better just to let them go. A Christian never gives up on a marriage, but sometimes we have to give in to a partner who says it's over. Just notice while we're here, by the way, that the rights of a man and a woman in this respect are radically equal. That's very different from Jewish marriage law at the time, and in fact some religions even today, where the husband has rights to divorce the wife uh, very easily, but the wife has no rights at all. No Christian treatment is radically equal. So we're not required to cling on to an unbelieving spouse who insists on divorce. We mustn't think, verse 16, that our sanctifying of them in marriage will necessarily lead to their salvation. It might, but it might not. We can have peace and leave it to the Lord. Now this Bible passage has not covered every possible scenario that might arise in this messy and mixed up world. But I hope we've got some principles clear. We mustn't think that changing our circumstances is always the solution to our problems. Usually we should try our best to stay as we are, whether we're single or married. We'll see more on that next week. But sometimes life is messy and Paul carefully sets out exceptions to the general rules. Exceptions that aren't ideal, but they are real. None of them compromise on the essential clarity of the Bible's teaching on sex and relationships. None of them deny last week's message, no sex without marriage, no marriage without sex. But they recognise that not everyone's life has been perfect so far. There are messy situations. Don't hold yourself or others to an absolute standard when it's not working. For singles, it's better to marry than to burn. 
If you're married to an unbeliever who wants out, you're not bound. For those of us who haven't had to face the messiness of these kind of situations for ourselves, can I appeal for grace and care? Let's not insist on the ideal so that we heap unbiblical burdens on those who are struggling. And if you're in one of these messy situations, or something else like it, know that the Bible is a realistic book. It's written for our messy world. God doesn't hold us to impossible standards. If you're not sure what the right and godly thing to do is in your situation, for heaven's sake, ask. Ask for godly advice from a wise Christian. Ask your small group to pray for you. Before you look to change your circumstances, ask how God is going to use your difficult circumstances to grow you in remarkable godliness and self-control. I'd certainly love to help if I can in any situation you might be in. Please never be ashamed to come and to admit my life is in a mess. What's the best way forward? Often the answer is, I wouldn't start from here. But given this is where we are, let's patiently and graciously and carefully find the right way forward. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, you know the messiness of our lives, including the lives of many of us here. We do pray, dear Lord God, that you will give us a determination to live out your pattern and a wisdom and care and a grace with one another in working out the best way forward whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. We pray, Father, that as we do that, our whole church will be a loving and safe community that is a light to those in our messy and broken world outside. In Jesus' name.